You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. The metaverse is all the rage right now. And this week, we're thrilled to have Andrew Steinwald, co-founder of Spermion on Diffuse Tap, to talk about how they're planning to invest their $100 million metaverse fund. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. So enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, you had some good conversations in your rooms there. A lot of you are going to be very confused. So here's a little bit of what to expect. This is a weekly event. This is our 96th weekly event. We're going to do something for the 100th. We'll see what. Um, We're going to ever so. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate that. The clapping. um, The golf clap, even. Uh, We're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse, aka why we're here. We're going to have a uh, Andrew Steinwald share some of his wisdom in a fireside chat format, where you'll have plenty of opportunity to drop questions in the chat. And we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced. And the reason is because Diffuse Tap is, first and foremost, a networking event. We want to spend a lot of time in groups of four or five with alternative investors from all over the world. Um, so, yeah, about 45 minutes of our hour is doing just that. We do want you to come away a little bit more intelligent, which is why we have wicked smart people like Mr. Steinwald on to talk about what they're up to and broaden your horizons. And then as a reminder, we do have in-person versions of this event. Basically get together at a bar and grab a couple of drinks. Next one is April 7th in Miami with uh, Mr. Glaude and Mrs. Goldstein. And I will be there as well. So if you're in that neck of the woods, make sure to, uh, to look us up. Why do we do this? Diffuse is first and foremost an alternative fund incubator. We try to find high alpha, more esoteric investment strategies and turn them into funds. So we have three live funds right now. One, we're in the middle of IPOing. It's an index fund. We're actually doing a pre-IPO raise with pretty preferential terms for people to come in now. So if you're interested, let us know. And then we also have two actively managed DeFi yield farming strategies. We split them between market neutral, it's called StableFi, and market long, which is uh, called MaxFi. So if you have any interest in any and all of that, don't be shy. But today's speaker is Andrew Steinwald with Spermion. Andrew, do you want to unmute yourself and uh, do a little brief introduction on your background and what Spermion's up to? Of course, yeah. Kenny, thank you so much for, for having me on. on. I'm super excited to chat. Uh, really briefly on my, my background, basically I got involved in Bitcoin in 2013. 2014, 2016, attempted two different blockchain-related startups, both failed completely. 2017, launched a crypto fund. We were doing well, but we were underperforming our peers. And we realized that in order to really build something more impactful, uh, we need to specialize and focus on a certain subsector of the market. And luckily, we're looking at the different subsectors in 2018. We did DeFi, realized it's not really our skill set. It's a very quantitative technical skill set, didn't really suit us, but then dove deeper into NFTs. And realized that that was going to be what we what we think, and obviously very biased, but what we think is going to be the, the world's largest market. And so we decided that we need to set up a fund entirely focused on the sector. And that was in September of 2019. Amazing. I'll hop in right there and, uh, and ask the big question. September 2019, most people were not talking about NFT, anything. A metaverse was kind of still a, you know, a fluffy thing that nobody knew what it actually meant. Um, how did you come up with the idea of raising a $100 million fund and then who were actually the first investors in that fund? Who are the initial LPs that believed in this early on? Yeah. So I will say that, you know, September 2019, it was personal capital uh, because we were, you know, unable to raise back then. You know, we were talking about uh, a NFT focused fund and it was actually buying direct NFTs, not investing in the venture of companies that were involved in the NFT space. 
So very esoteric strategy. And on, on top of that, uh, when we tried to raise capital for this vehicle, um, it, was, it wasn't successful in 2019, wasn't successful in summer of 2020, even though our returns were, were very healthy, but it was just too, too weird. And this is, this is funny because we were pitching crypto people. We were pitching Bitcoin OGs and people that have been in space forever. And our thought process was, oh, well, they'll, they'll definitely understand like believing in this nascent space when no one else believes in it. But they were, the, they were like the harshest, you know, harshest critics. They were like, what are you, are you telling me you're buying CryptoKitties? And I was like, well, not exactly CryptoKitties, but like kind of. And so, so that was a tough conversation to have. But um, it wasn't until the narrative shift in September of 2020, where the DeFi yield, the DeFi summer that started to kind of, uh, the, 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 the yield that you could generate from a lot of those applications was, was kind of trending downward. And that, that crowd was looking at, okay, what's the next DeFi? What's the next big market that we can enter? And luckily that crowd went into NFTs. And that was in September, 2020. They quickly realized that, okay, wait a second, this is a, a different market with different you know, value drivers, different cultures, different communities. Um, but what it did do is it brought, it brought us interest because we were already operating. And we were actually able to cobble together uh, $5.3 million for our first vehicle. And that was in, we, we ended up launching in January of 2021. That was with outside capital before it's just personal. And um, uh, you know, at that time, the, the, the demand for the fund was, was extremely high. You know, people were saying, hey, raise 50, raise 60. But we wanted to raise a small fund because we wanted this, the first fund to perform very, very well uh, so we could go and raise fund two. Fund two was a $100 million fund, and that was a venture, venture fund. And actually, you know, when we were raising five point, the $5.3 million fund, all of our LPs were saying, that's way too big. It's, it's $5.3 million. This is insane. Uh, you know, the, the total NFT trade volume in 2019 was $8.3 million. That was for the whole year. But in 2020, it was $82 million. So, so we were like, okay, no, there's definitely a, some, some incredible growth here. And then with the $100 million fund, we had similar questions where you're raising a $100 million fund for this nascent asset class. It's, it's kind of insane. Uh, and we said, same process where, no, it's extremely small for where this market's going to go. And to, to give you some kind of growth figures right here, 2019, the total trade volume, this is on OpenSea, which is the largest marketplace in, in the space, uh, was $8.3 million, so very tiny. 2020 is 893% increase to $82 million. 2021, we were at $17.7 billion in trade volume. That's a 21,000% increase. And just in January and February of this year alone, we're at $10.6 billion in trade volume. So definitely, you know, that that, that growth is like, Early internet growth back in you know the you know, 1990s or you know, early early 2000s. So um, we we uh, decided on the hundred million dollar figure because we we again we wanted to do a small fund that we knew that we we would be able to easily um, you know generate great returns from. That's great. You mentioned January February volumes being great um, from just like a mainstream press. It seems that a lot of the fervor around NFTs and a related concept of metaverse has died down a little bit, which is fair. Um, so what's transpired over the last 30, 60 days? What are you seeing happening in the NFT space? And, you know, we got to talk a little about Ronan and the, the, the recent exploit, because uh, that's a pretty significant change, I'd argue. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that 2021 was just 2017, like the ICO bubble. Uh, 2021 was the NFT bubble. It was just a lot of new people entering in quickly and uh, just speculating on random pictures of monkeys and, and kind of these the silly things, uh, which is totally normal in a new and exciting market with low barriers to entry. Like speculation is a totally normal thing. Um, it obviously, like, you know, it did get a little out of hand. Like there was times where uh, people were raising $20 million on pictures of cats or whatever. Right. Um, and so, so, you know, luckily what's happening now is that, 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 that interest or that type of participant market participant is kind of leaving the space because those easy 
uh, gains are, are no longer to be had. It's more, um, more, I guess, professionals, quote unquote. Um, but what's great is that what, what that did do is it brought a, a ton of capital, a ton of attention, and just just a massive influx of talent into the space. Because in 20, 2019, 2020, I, I don't want to bash anyone that was building back then, but like it, it was a very small number of you know people with incredible backgrounds that were building stuff. 2021 was night and day difference where the people, you know, experts in gaming, they're entering, experts in art, they're entering, experts in collectibles, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. So um, that was the biggest change uh, in terms of the, the, the talents was just, these are people that are uh, missionaries, not mercenaries, that they're really, really motivated to build things for the long term. And what's happening now is just kind of a flush out uh, that happens naturally after, you know, crazy price appreciation. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, overall NFT search volume is down massively. Uh, NFT trade volume is also down um, significantly, but I, you know we look at we look forward to to that kind of uh, slower period because what's happening now is the people that are serious and have been building for the past six to twelve months they're getting ready to launch their projects and and it's going to you know just continue just similar to how crypto has expanded where in twenty eighteen you had kind of that lull period and twenty twenty or sorry twenty nineteen it was kind of back at it and then here we are today with with broad crypto so I think it's going to mirror NFTs will probably mirror that that growth. Gotcha makes sense. Uh- we skipped the Ronin bit. What are your thoughts or what, what happened there for the people who aren't aware and how do you think that's going to affect the overall industry? Yeah. Okay. So Ronin is a blockchain made by Sky Mavis. Sky Mavis is the maker, makers of Axie Infinity, which is the most popular blockchain game. They have around 2 million, two to 3 million total users. Um, and you know they generated just a, a ridiculous amount of money and was, was very, very popular, but their token economy, it was designed in a way where uh, it's not entirely sustainable. So they're working towards fixing that now into a more sustainable model. Anywho, uh, they built their own blockchain and they have a bridge to this blockchain essentially. And bridges, they have some inherent security flaws. So people would have to port their Ethereum over to the Ronin blockchain or port their USDC over to the Ronin blockchain. And they would kind of do activities in there, buying these creatures, buying land, et cetera, et cetera. So what happened was, uh, you know, I, I don't know the specifics of the technical hack, but a hacker was able to uh, break into that bridge and steal all the Ethereum and USDC that was locked up in Ronin. And so it was a total of $650 million worth of, of assets, which is obviously extremely you know, ridiculous. And also it's it's the largest hack known to date. Uh, actually, I would say Bifinex was probably, but, but in, in terms of current dollar value, it's the largest uh, to date. So um, yeah, I think that that's uh, very unfortunate. Bridges are still in their infancy. All this is still you know very, very early and, and you know immature, but um, uh, you know, I, I I don't know if, what the situation is with the actual assets. I don't know if they're going to be able to get those back, but it's going to be um, it's going to be uh, it, it's definitely jarring for a lot of people. But overall, it's kind of an, uh, like for us, it's a, just another day. There's always some sort of hack. There's always risks. So uh, yeah. I maybe one thing to mention there is it took them six days for the public to get wind of it. So that was a, a neat job hiding that. I'm sure they were trying desperately to to get that money back somehow in one way, shape, or form. Um, but uh, a follow-up question to what are the kinds of trends that are sustaining and the ones that are kind of dying off? What happened to play to earn? Do you think that that's going to be something that sticks around or is that whole space going to need a, a little bit of an overhaul to actually make these games interesting and sustainable in the long run? What do you think? Yeah, okay. I think broadly that gaming is essentially the Trojan horse to crypto mass adoption because games are designed to be fun, right? So uh, if you have to play a game, there's always some learning curve to playing a game. If you have to learn, okay, download this wallet, buy some cryptocurrency, some people will do that and they'll get kind of red-pilled into the broader crypto ecosystem. So it's a great way to onboard people to crypto. 
Um, and also, yeah, I think that Axie was the most successful game and has been by, you know, far, far out succeeded every other game so far. But keep in mind, you know, Axie launched, I think it was early 2018, and they've been grinding nonstop since and really iterating multiple times. And it's going to take some time to get these game economies right because gaming is all about, you know, having a balanced economy and balanced gameplay. And so the issue is that with NFTs and, and tokens, it just, it's very difficult because these assets are released to the wild, to the community and to the participants, and they, they act like real mini economies. And so you have to, um, you have to be very in tune with the number of the issuance of these assets, the, the supply of these assets. And so it's almost like a, a whole central bank kind of issue, uh, issue there. And um, actually was the first one to hit it, hit it very well. Their model now is, is uh, was not super sustainable and they knew that and a lot of people are telling them that. So now they're working on, you know, a new update. Uh, which will, you know, hopefully turn it into a more sustainable economy. So, um, and yeah, I, I would say that it, we're not even in the first inning for play to earn. Like this is like the very first iteration of one single game. And we are uh, extremely excited about the gaming uh, ecosystem broadly and play to earn broadly. And I think it's really about creating balanced economies. Uh, but what's great is that, you know, you, these, these, these assets and, and these, uh, these worlds are, are programmable. So, you know, you launch with a V1, V1 doesn't quite work. So you can launch with V2 and update it or V3 or V4, et cetera, versus like a real economy. You can't just like hit the reset button or kind of uh, restart things quite easily. It's, it's very, very difficult. So um, yeah, no, I think that I, we are extremely bullish on crypto gaming, Web3 gaming and, and play to earn. And we think that sure, there was one model. It didn't quite work out as expected, uh, but there's going to be thousands of different models and, and there's going to be real sustainable economies that generate uh, multi-billions of dollars, uh, like w w without a doubt. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, although I will say in TradFi, if inflation keeps going the way you might have to figure out what that reset button actually looks like. <laughs> I think it's going to be a little painful though. Um, jumping around a little bit, a question from Aga, um, insurance and digital assets. Ronan, we talked about the exploit. Um, are you seeing a proliferation of insurance products against hack and theft and protocols? Do you expect that to continue? What are your thoughts on that space? Yeah, so I think Kenny, you'd probably have a better view on this because because you know you're deeper into DeFi than I am. I know uh, there are some DeFi protocols that offer insurance, like on-chain insurance and whatnot, and then there are some institutions like some service pro providers that offer uh, insurance. But within the NFT specifically, there there are a few insurance providers, but it's very very expensive and it doesn't make sense. Like even for us, um, we we have to have insurance, but it's a very uh, kind of you know smaller policy that we're just doing it to uh, you know kind of check the box for with SEC and whatnot. Um, but we, our LPs understand that everyone understands that, that it doesn't actually make sense right now. Um, but yeah, again, like I'd say 99.9% .9 of the population didn't know about NFTs 15 months ago. So, so it's a really, really new market for most people. And uh, you know, for us, for example, like uh, there's so much base layer infrastructure that needs to get built out. So there's no, there's no effective NFT portfolio tracker. There's no, Coin market cap for NFTs. There's no, I mean, there's some marketplaces like OpenSea and, and whatnot, but we're still so incredibly early that this baseline infrastructure needs to get built out. And then we're going to have things like insurance, which I know it sounds goofy because like insurance is something that you desperately need. But, um, but yeah, we're, again, we're, we're just, we're incredibly early. So, so these, these types of products will, 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 will arrive, but just not, not quite yet. And uh, what do you think will happen when all the big players start entering the space? One of the uh, chat questions from Ryan was that. Now, what happens when Disney comes on online and then all the other big boys? Is that going to change the ecosystem fundamentally? Is it going to speed up adoption? What, what do you think is going to happen? 
Yeah. So it's tough to say. I think that um, broadly, if Disney comes in, that, that'd be value additive to the space. But right now, the space is very, very tiny. So on OpenSea, the most popular uh, NFT exchange that has probably 80, 85% of the total trade volume, the total number of participants that have ever made a trade there is like 1.49 million right? people. Right? So that's just incredibly small. Uh, Axie Infinity, which is the most popular game, we'll call it two to three million people on that platform. So the total NFT space, we'll call it like 4 million, right? So um, yeah, it's it just an incredibly small population. So if Disney decides to enter, uh, right now, they'd be catering to the crypto native audience. And right now, the crypto native audience, they want metaverse native IP. Like they don't want necessarily, you know, some Disney branded asset. They want Board Ape Yacht Club, which is, you know, those monkeys, or they want CryptoPunk. So they want these, these things that are from the space, native to the space. And also, if you look at uh, just kind of tech paradigms in general, like 19, 1990s, I think, top com- the top 10 companies in America were oil and gas and media companies. And, you know, that, those companies were native to the, the paradigm of media and, you know, it was like newspapers and like oil and gas, right? So, so they became the dominant players for a period of time. And there's a new tech paradigm, or there's a new paradigm called, uh, yeah, technology paradigm called like the, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, tech boom. And, you know, 2010, the top companies were uh, all, all, it was all but three were tech companies and they were all new companies that didn't exist before. It wasn't like the media company, you know, jumped on board and was now suddenly a tech company. It was like Apple and Google and Amazon and whatnot versus uh, these oil and gas companies that adopt this, this technology. So I think a similar thing is going to play out in the NFT space or like the metaverse spaces, how, how I kind of call it, where these players, uh, you know, the, the future big, yeah, big participants will be native to, to this space and native to this paradigm versus like Disney adopting this and really hitting it, hitting it, uh, hitting it well and becoming a, a, a huge player. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, a, a nuanced question that I'm sure I'm going to butcher. Um, back in the 80s, 90s, right? Toys, um, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as an example, right? Was first and foremost a toy and then it turned into a television show to promote the toy. And then there's the collectible element to it. And it ultimately, a lot of that value for that, that, that franchise derived from blending the various mediums. Are you seeing a similar thing happening with NFTs where like Board 8, Yacht Club, the TV show, or kind of these, these partnerships with more traditional media outlets to kind of drive the growth? Yeah, I, I think that um, for something like Board Apes, where it, it is a IP first and like kind of game second, I think that that's the play that they're going for. They're going for kind of the uh, LVMH of, of NFTs because they're going out and acquiring great IP that, are, that already exists in the NFT space that they acquired. CryptoPunks, which are the, this top collection, MeBits, which is an, an, another really popular collection. And they're just going to aggregate all these great collections and then build, you know, you take their IP and build different products off them, whether it be movies, you know, videos, uh, you know, stories, whatever, t-shirts, who knows what. And also uh, Yuga Labs, which is actually the parent company of, of uh, Board Apes. Uh, they're creating, you know, this, this virtual world where they're going to have all these different uh, collections that they acquire in this virtual world. And you're going to be able to walk around with your characters and whatnot. So yeah, it's a really interesting uh, kind of thing that's happening there. And like, if you, if you look at like macro in 1980s and 1990s, um, you know, the, the internet didn't really exist. And so people were spending most of their time buying physical toys or like buying t-shirts or, you know, watching TV and whatnot. But like, but now with, with the internet, uh, it, it, it allows in like, okay, yeah. So it basically allows people to become really uh, way more engaged because if I can interact with my favorite brands by going on their YouTube channel and by buying, you know, the merch and whatnot, I think that's a really exciting prospect just probably because that was due like to the internet. But if you look at 
what NFTs enable, they also enable you to have ownership of part of that brand or a piece of that brand. And that makes people even more engaged. So it's like in 1980s, you were engaged, but a little bit, you know, going into the internet, way more engaged because of the constant uh, interaction with that brand. And now that you have a piece of the ownership and potential upside, you also have potential downside, but potential upside with that brand, it makes like the most engaged users ever. And then, you know, zooming out even more, if you look at, if you look at screen time, people are spending, Americans, the average American spending like seven, seven hours, 11 minutes per day staring at screens, whether it be like TV, phone, computer. And so if we're spending all of our time inside like the digital world, quote unquote, then it makes sense that people are buying these digital goods and really um, engaging with them on that level of actually putting skin in the game and, and, and you know, having potential upside and downside within these projects that they're so uh, engaged with and, and, and kind of intertwined with. Maybe as a final question before we hop into breakout rooms, um, you've been investing since the beginning of NFTs. What are some of the success stories and failures that you've ended up plunking your money into? Don't have to mention names, but maybe just as a general area, it'd be interesting for us to see kind of what did you think was going to work out well and ended up not? And what were the surprises that ended up working out quite well for you? So, yeah, because we invest in different asset classes. So it's we'll kind of choose one, NFTs directly. Um, you know, there's certain NFTs because uh, they're very hard to determine whether or not they're going to appreciate value. And, and the reason for them appreciating value is, is obvious in hindsight, just like how like mo most markets work. But uh, going forward, you know, when you're initially making that investment, it's kind of a, it's a venture style investment based off of, I mean, what we do is we just look at the core fundamentals and, uh, and then you know, the, the team, the product, the token economics, the community, the market, et cetera. And then we, we do that homework and we say, okay, great. This is a great collectible or, or virtual piece of virtual land or game asset, whatever. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll decide to dive deeper and, and we have to figure out what sub-market does this NFT exist in because NFTs are a very broad category. They, 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 you know, saying NFTs is almost like saying internet. So you know, there's virtual land, there's collectibles, gaming assets, et cetera, art. And um, so you have to figure out, okay, the value drivers for virtual land is location content parameters or the value drivers for, utility, or for gaming assets is utility or so on and so forth. And once you figure that out, then you have to dive into that specific project and essentially make a uh, investment thesis based off of that environment. So like if you're investing in two different virtual worlds and you know you're going to be investing in the land asset, and it's, this is a simple uh, example, but um, one virtual world, you could be saying, okay, we're going to invest in the, in the land that is on the you know, waterfront. And then the other virtual world, you're saying, we're going to invest in land that is near spawn because that, that has the most foot traffic or, or whatnot. So it's really about uh, kind of doing your homework, digging deeper, and then making a uh, making some sort of you know venture style investment because we're not certain that it's going to play out how how we think, but um, but we have to you know we, that's kind of the, the homework that we do, and um, so I'd say that the best successes are um, you know just doing our homework and then making that making that play, and uh, the 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 percent percent return on individual NFTs is you know pretty astonishing because these are all micro economies and uh, they're very, very esoteric and the liquidity is low and they're hard to understand and hard to get access to. And, um, and uh, you know, the market participants are often um, gamers, collectors, hobbyists versus people that are going after a, for certain, a certain ROI. And so, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd say broadly, like, you know, mm -hmm. we, we, we won't make NFT investments unless it's in the percentage return of like a couple thousand percent to a couple hundred thousand percent, which I know like sounds insane. Um, but the, the problem is scalability. You have to do that uh, with a lot of different assets, but but that that the alpha that can be generated is it's it just it's just pretty ridiculous right now. And then on the on the uh, so so that's like kind of a success, I guess. Uh, on the, on the failures, um, there's a lot of 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times that we we make that investment into an asset and it doesn't doesn't play out. But luckily, the the initial capital that you deploy into that collection or or, or asset is is so low compared to to the winners that it, it more than makes up for it. And then on the venture side, um, it's it's really exciting for us because there's so much baseline infrastructure that needs to get built out. Like just so many things that just don't exist yet that that in order to really onboard more people that we need that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've made a lot of investments on on the, on the venture side and. Uh, some failures. Uh, yeah, I, it's hard not to name names and be specific, but um, mm-hmm. something is so obvious it doesn't exist yet. You find a great team, find a great founder, and then you you make that investment. But then it turns out that um, you know once they, they 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 get distracted by new things and they go in different directions. So really finding uh, number one mission mission uh, mission driven people that are really for the space and and you know into the metaverse and into NFTs and kind of Web three, but also that are are also mission focused. They're not. Um, hey, we're going to do everything. It's like, no, no, you need to focus on your one thing, dominate that that arena, then you can expand. So um, I, yeah, I don't want to get into specifics, but things things like that. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Appreciate it. And so we're going to do another breakout room. And Andrew, we uh, always ask the same question between the breakout rooms, which is uh, trends, prognostication. What do you see coming down the pipe? Um, I think one of the people in the chat talked about what's the next bubble. Um, feel free to answer that or not answer that, or just tell people what's exciting. But for the breakout room, a couple housekeeping items. One, um, it's not a pitch session. It's a networking session. So let's please be respectful of that. Be kind to one another. Um, have to say it every week. Uh, and also we do not send out a full participant list. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, um, swap your details then and there, or join Telegram group. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to introduce yourself and ask for something. The community is really great. Uh, you want to talk about the rooms themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I'm popping to rooms now. Please stick around. There are no, uh, there's no stranger danger here. Everybody is uh, various investors in alternative assets. So you'll meet some friends and uh, make some good relationships. You'll be with some four or five folks in each room. And I'll be there for five to 10 minutes, probably close to like eight minutes this time around. And uh, we'll bring you back just for Andrew to answer another round of questions. See you all shortly. All right. Everybody's trickling back in. The number stopped going up, so we'll call that good enough. Andrew, as threatened, do you want to unmute and tell us your, uh, shake your little light ball and tell us what, what's coming down the pipe? Okay. So in terms of, yeah, what we're very excited about going forward, uh, gaming, Web3 gaming broadly, again, because you know games are designed to be fun. And if you can introduce people to cryptocurrency in a fun way or introduce people to DeFi in a fun way, uh, that's just incredible. Like the, the the potential that that unlocks is essentially you can you know bank million, you know billions of people all, all all around the world and provide them with financial services and 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 all sorts of different things that are uh, game like or they're going to think it's game like in nature, but in reality it's going to have real financial impact. So that's really exciting to to us. Kind of Trojan horsing everyone to uh, being red pilled by crypto, and then also uh, digital fashion. Like I know it's very esoteric, but very excited about people displaying their personality through digital clothing and, and kind of digital avatars. And that's something that we're very excited about as well. Fascinating. Hadn't thought about that. Uh, just a definition because you said it twice and I think it's funny. Uh, red pill. What is red pilling? Uh, red pilling is basically convincing people that crypto broadly is important, whether it be blockchain, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. Um, if you are a red pill, that means that you are a convert and you think, okay, wow, Web3 is going to be very impactful uh, to the internet and to the, the, you know, the kind of the economy broadly. Gotcha. And is that a matrix reference? Uh, yes, yes. Ah. Red pill or yeah, blue pills, obviously. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, we're going to do one more breakout room and then wrap up on time. Myla, do you want to talk breakout rooms? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll give you a little topic. Um, 
what is the number? Do you own an ape? Maybe go with that one. Do you know? Do you own an ape? And why do you? Why do you not own an ape? through right now we are going to do a couple of minute wrap up and then kill it right at the top of the hour um as a reminder um this is a weekly event next week is insurance insurance crypto insuring crypto exposure come learn a little bit about that area of digital assets as a reminder we do have an in oh and this is a different one we have two in april two in-person diffuse tabs this one is on april 29th in new york hosted by merson who's our ambassador and then do join our telegram group introduce yourself ask for something connections in particular because everybody who joins the group came to a networking event so i'd imagine that's something that people value highly isla do you uh, have any talking points i missed no, I think that's it. Just remember that Kenny's going to be in Miami next week. So if there's someone he should meet, or if you want to come to the Diffuse Tap event on the 7th, ping me and I will add you to the invite. Awesome. And Andrew, thank you so much for sharing some of your thank you guys, us plebs. Um, best of luck in getting your fund to continue to uh, earn, you know, tens of thousands of percent per year. Um, I'm sure that's <laughs> very sustainable long-term. Um, and to everybody, thank you so much for coming out. Hopefully you enjoyed it and hope to see you next week. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the Fireside Chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.